Well, greetings from Saving Grace Bible Church. It's a thrill to be with you. I've been praying for this work for a long time. Back from when I heard it was being launched, I had known the Mitchells. I had talked with them and heard the Phillips were coming, and I just started praying for this group, having been in church plants myself, knowing the unique challenges that you have faced, are facing, and will continue to face. Um, I know in my own heart the, the challenges that go on and the needs that we have to, to be able able to depend upon the Lord in this time. And so I pray this morning that I can encourage your heart some. And, uh, and I think about church plant life. It is, it's hard work. It's hard work in the church just when the church is together, but let alone when a church is starting from nothing. It is a lot of hard work and there are a lot of challenges. But there's, there are many challenges even in the Christian life. Think about the Christian life and the number of pressures that go on. I think I was reading an article recently uh, about millennials that were struggling with what they were going to do after school because there were no jobs for them. They had committed themselves to go off to college, had finished college, they had this degree, and now they had nothing to do with that particular degree, and they're facing the challenges. There is, uh, in their own hearts, a a life of anxiety and fear and difficulty, and in that, there was a, a desire for them to try to capture what they're going to do and give purpose and meaning to life. I particularly had just came from a trip where my family and I traveled to California and, and in the process we were driving through Colorado and uh, I took some time in Colorado to uh, uh, have some coffee and uh, study while my kids and wife were hiking through one of the uh, uh, trails there and I, I went to this little uh, little coffee shop uh, a little uh, there was a, a man uh, who was leading this coffee shop and I was overhearing his discussion as he was talking to a, a um, a person there, and he, he said this. He said, I started this coffee shop not because I wanted to make a lot of money, but because I wanted people to understand me. You know, I wanted them to come here and understand who I am and what I'm about, and if I sell a lot of coffee, that's great. I just wanted them to understand me. His sense was that if they drank his coffee in his coffee shop, they would appreciate him for who he was, and that's what got him through life. He wasn't worried about making as he said, I wasn't worried about making lots of money. I just want people to understand me. And it's just funny to me as I observed, well, selling a bunch of coffee to him equated to people understanding him. That's how he solved his worries, his frets, his burdens, his people comprehending him. And I recognize we all have in life some measure of burden or pressure that's upon us that fills our hearts and minds with anxiety. And then we look for answers. For this guy, the answer was, well, if people just comprehended me, if people just appreciated my coffee services, then I felt it was all worth it. Even if I didn't have a lot of money in the end, it was worth it. For the millennial today, it's a sense of identity within a group of people who agree with them and and look like them. So they find identity in their group. That gives them a sense of peace, even if financially they're not making it. We all turn to something in the midst of pressures that give us a sense of identity when life seems to be spiraling out of control, when we can't make ends meet in some degree, when we may have to lose something we possess, when we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, and our hearts begin to be filled with anxiety, we turn to something. It's in the midst of that context of anxiety that I want to draw your attention to the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 6 to comfort our hearts. 
Because I know this about a church plant, having been there myself, you live in a constant state of uncertainty. Will we have enough people next week to keep giving to supply the needs to move on? Will we be able to manage the burdens of life with the resources the Lord's given us? Is the Lord going to grow this work? All of those pressures are upon us at all times, and we don't really know. We don't know what the Lord is going to do. Thus, I find it comforting in the midst of that to turn to the words of our Lord Himself. This sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon of our Lord, given, Matthew records as the very first words of our Lord at the beginning of His earthly ministry, which is likely it came at a later point in His earthly ministry. Matthew just puts it up front. To do what? To demonstrate to us the ministry of the Messiah. And particularly, here is the message of the Messiah. When we come to this particular passage, Matthew 6, we start to see what our Lord was concerned about. And particularly, verses 16 through 24, He talks about money, and He talks about riches, and He talks about resources and what we should be seeking. And He reminds His audience that you're not to be worried about or seeking earthly treasures. You're not storing up treasures here on earth, but we are to be setting our eyes on things to come. And he talks about riches, and, and he warns us in this that we can't serve two masters. We can't love the world and its resources and love God as well. Uh, and we shouldn't be putting our comfort in these earthly resources, which, as he says in verse 19, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. He reminds us of that importance of where our affection should be. And then we come into verses 25 through 34, and that's where I want to take you this morning, 25 to 34. I uh, originally taught through this two times, so I'm taking two sermons and smashing them together. So the good thing is, the outline's in the bulletin there, and you can see the outlines we work our way through this text. Jesus begins to remind us of some important things here about riches and our perspective on riches. Notice what verse 25 says. For this reason I say to you, Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Here, Jesus exhorts His audience. Now again, reflect on this for a moment. This is a sermon of our Lord to those group of followers who who had come and sat at His feet here on the Sermon on the Mount. He had stood in a particular place where those who had come to Him, who had seen Him, and He was able to project out and minister to them. Notice at the end of chapter 7 what these people say about Jesus in verse 28 and 29 after they had heard Him. It says, When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. He was teaching in a unique way. He was teaching in a way completely different than the scribes and the Pharisees of His day. He was ministering to them and to their hearts. And here is the message then He draws their attention to. He draws their attention to the need to understand how to deal with worry. Worry which fills our hearts and minds at all times. Students face it when they begin the semester and they're wondering, what am I going to do as I am facing all the demands of this semester? I remember when I was going through school, uh, after the first week of classes, I'd get all my homework assignments and I would write them down and then I'd be terrified. How in the world am I going to get all of this done in, the, in these short few months? And uh, worry filled my heart. 
And I had to break it down and only look at it at a day at a time because if I took more than a day at a time, I got overwhelmed by the volume of material that had to be uh, accomplished in those few short weeks. Worry fills our heart. Worry fills the heart of a parent as they wonder about their kids when their kids are, are growing up and going through school. Worry fills the heart of a father as a father has to care for his family and minister to their family's needs. A worry fills the heart of a mother when she sees her kids struggling with difficulties. Worry fills the heart of a pastor when he is shepherding his flock and ministering to his congregation. Worry fills our hearts, so we certainly need God's answers to the worry problem that we all naturally face. And in this text, we see God's answers, particularly our Lord's answers to the issues of worry. Now, some may say, in particular, he has just addressed riches and, and earthly riches and, and the, the desire that we're not to seek earthly riches, we're to seek heavenly things. And he puts it in context what the struggle is. And he, So the context here is particularly financial worry, having just addressed it in 19 to 24. But I think the principles lie out for the, all, anything that causes us to worry. We'll work our way through this to see. Sometimes someone may think, well, if I was just rich, I wouldn't have to worry anymore. But then you talk to someone with means and you find out they're just as worrisome as you are because they are consumed with somebody trying to take their wealth or consumed with trying to keep up the level of living they've become accustomed to or to gain more means. And so having means doesn't get you out of the category of worry. Nor does, on the other hand, having nothing. You think, okay, well, I have nothing, therefore I'm free of worry. No, you're just as burdened because you're worrying about how you're going to eat and what you're going to be covered with. MacArthur says this, being both rich and being poor have their special spiritual problems. The rich are tempted to trust in their possessions, and the poor are tempted to doubt God's provisions. The rich are tempted to become self-satisfied, the false security of their riches, and the poor are tempted to worry and fear in the false insecurity of their poverty. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter your economic condition, it doesn't matter your position in life, you are tempted to face worry in some way, and that's why Jesus addresses the subject. In fact, he addresses the subject of money most often in the Scriptures. In fact, if you were to take all the scriptures in the New Testament and Jesus' discussion of money, he talks about prayer 500 times. 500 verses on prayer in the New Testament. And in fact, there's 500 passages on faith, but there are over 2,000 passages referring to money. This speaks about money quite a bit. God has a lot to say about this, and he tests our hearts in many ways. So I thought maybe for us this morning to take some of those worries and to put them in the categories of what Jesus said here to kind of comfort our hearts because I know the struggles. I know the struggles of a pastor having burdened by working full time and ministering to church and wondering what's going to happen when I can't spend so much time with my family or I can't put as much time in my exposition as I wanted or I can't counsel or disciple as much as I wanted. What is the Lord going to do? Uh, that comforts our heart by looking at these passages. I know what it's like as a, as a father wondering about my kids and what's going to happen in their life and being burdened by that. I even bear burdens today and I wonder, Lord, what are you going to do for tomorrow? And I constantly have to take my heart back to these passages. So let's look at these passages. Here's how Jesus begins to address the question. As he said, 
For this reason there, in verse 25, points back to what he has just laid out to us about what our heart seeks for treasures. That sets the context for us. And then he directs their hearts and says, Do not be worried about your life. Worry here then, that's the exhortation or command. You cannot be filled with worry. It, It cannot be your place. It cannot be filling your heart in life. You must be concerned about other things. And particularly, he draws out where the source of their worry is. Do not be worried about what you will eat or what you will drink or nor for your body as to what you will wear. You do not be worried about what you need to be able to survive. God is going to care for you. This is going to be the grand lesson through this whole section. God is going to care for you. How do we know that, Jesus? Well, six principles then to demonstrate from this text. Six principles which help us battle worry. Battle the fears of life that come up. So if you're that college student graduating college and wondering where is the job going to be after college, don't worry. The Lord is going to care for you. Notice the text here as Jesus says. The first kind of principle is remember this, that God is gracious and He is our gracious supplier. That's the first principle that we need to remind ourselves at all times when our hearts are filled with worry. That God is gracious and that He is a gracious supplier. How do we know that? Verse 26. Jesus then takes their attention to the crowd and says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? The first principle that we see from this text is that God is a gracious supplier. He he supplies abundantly. And the example of that are the birds of the air. When you look around at the birds, there are not only various kinds of birds, but observe the birds as they fly around. They gather each and every day food. They eat each and every day. But they don't go around as they're looking for uh, food throughout the day. They're not going around and, and storing up for themselves food for long term. They're provided for. And as the text indicates, they didn't plant the food. They didn't cultivate the seeds and plant the various kinds of food. They did nothing. They didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have storehouses, they did nothing, and yet they're abundantly supplied for all the time. Notice as the text says there, God supplies them, your heavenly Father feeds them. And they feed on all kinds of things. In fact, I've always wondered in my life, what in the world, Lord, were you doing when you invented love bugs? I mean, they mess up your car when you're driving along. They're slow. They don't get out of the way. You, you, know, you go jogging and they you know, get in your face. They're just a pain all the time. And yet, you see birds swooping through the air, snatching up these bugs, and you recognize immediately, oh, the Lord even gave them low-hanging fruit. He gave them easy uh, eating it's like, ah, yes, a particular bug that comes together and attaches itself and the bugs pull in two different directions so they stay there floating in the air and the birds just swoop in and eat them immediately and they recognize that is part of God's gracious design. All the bugs out there, you wonder about the various insect world and the abundance of it and the easy, it's easy for bugs to reproduce so quickly. You recognize that, you just leave some food out in your house and you'll see the ants quickly come. And you recognize, man, all of this is the graciousness of God as He supplies for the needs of other animals. 
Here, none of these animals planted, cultivated their own little bug garden, and yet here God is abundantly supplying. Why? As Jesus says, this is your heavenly Father who feeds them, who cares for them. He is the one providing for them. All of their needs, even before the birds are even aware of it, God is supplying an appropriate season. And then Jesus asks the penetrating question. If you've seen the the birds of the air and they're fed marvelously and they're cared for abundantly by God, are you not worth much more than they? Do you not believe that God cares for you more so than He would care for the birds of the air? This is where worry comes in. Worry at its heart causes us to doubt that God cares for us more than the birds of the air, the animals of the field, or whatever. Somehow we would believe that God would think less of us and lower us, and therefore our fears get in the way and cause us to start to doubt the gracious character of God. He cares for us. We who are created in His image... We who have been called into His family and made now as children of God, He cares for us. He cares for us so much that He has given us the greatest gift of all, of course, His Son. Cared for and covered our sins and taken them out of the way and provided for us the righteousness that allows us to stand before Him perfect. If God has then then done the most significant thing of caring for our spiritual need and our, our our need to be able to stand before Him, will He not do a smaller thing and care for our everyday physical need? The implication is here, if He cares for us so much and we're worth so much more than the birds, then we can trust the gracious provision of God and His care. It's hard for us at times, and to, we struggle with this. And we struggle with this for various reasons. We struggle with believing that God is a gracious supplier because, and just three quick reasons, the first is that oftentimes our present pain and personal fears speak louder than our faith and confidence in God. Oftentimes we feel the very present pain that comes in the insecurity that the fear is bringing on our heart and is struggling us, and we doubt then that God is a gracious supplier. This is what Jesus is calling our attention to. God is a gracious supplier, and He's caring for these birds abundantly. And even when they're careless and clueless, and that's the whole key, the bird is careless and clueless. It's just living from moment to moment. And yet God is gracious. I think this, by a little implication, friends, this is where we get in our own fears. We, we can see our sins. We can see our failures. We can say, yeah, I made a bad decision here. I should have been better here. And we see our failures, and then we think to ourselves, we deserve you know, nothing from God. And indeed, we do deserve nothing from God. And yet, even in the midst of our failures and our difficulties, this principle is true. God is a gracious supplier. And so what's tested in the midst of this is that do we believe, do we have the confidence that He is a gracious supplier? And sometimes the fear... And difficulties of our situation speak louder than our faith and confidence in God. There's a second reason we struggle is often because our, the root of our struggle is unbelief. We just do not believe that God is going to do this. And our, wa- and our faith then often wavers. Thirdly, our faith wavers when God does not supply according to the measure we expected or wanted. We wanted some kind of deliverance. 
whole point in all this, the initial principle then, our heart then, finds comfort in the face of anxiety by reminding ourselves of this gracious truth, that God is a gracious supplier. It's His nature. He's been supplying for His creation. He's been holding it together. Jesus is described in, Ephesians, or in Colossians chapter 1 as the one who holds all things together. God is the one who supplies and protects and cares for His creation abundantly. And as the text indicates to us, we are worth much more than they. That's the answer, or the implication by the question. We are worth so much more than they. Now, the second truth. Remember, notice what the text says is this. In verse 27, the second truth is this. Remember the uselessness of anxiety. Remember the uselessness of anxiety. Verse 27. And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? I mean, the question is, what has worry actually gained you? And I can tell you, I have practiced worry. I have worked at it. And I have gained nothing. And in fact, I have wasted more hours in my life worrying about things that never came into being. I have marveled at that. How many times in my own heart and mind, imagining various situations and circumstances, only for none of it to come into reality. And maybe only just a little shade of it to actually turn into something. And I think, okay, maybe this is what's going to happen. It never does. It never works out that way. And that's the question Jesus asks. How? Who has added a single hour to his life? Who has changed a single circumstance by filling their heart and mind with worry? How many times have we gone into those cycles in our mind where we imagine an event and imagine a scenario and imagine a conversation, imagine the consequence, and it only never turns out? We imagine every possible scenario, and we imagine the scenario getting worse and worse, and it doesn't change anything. We get emotionally worked up and emotionally uh, drained, and then we're exhausted by the time we're done. The question is, ultimately, what can we change? You know the dreaded questions that come when you're in the midst of worry. Just to kind of spot it. If you say, how do I know my heart's there? Well, you're asking probably one of these questions. You're probably asking yourself this dreaded question. Am I outside the will of God? Have I stepped outside of His will in some way? And have I made a decision in some way that I stepped outside of God's will and now God is no longer protecting me? As if somehow we were possibly capable of escaping a situation that God did not predetermine or did not know. But our heart gets filled with that. Has God abandoned me? Has God left me here all by myself and now I can't do anything? Has He abandoned me? What happens if I die? What happens if this person dies? What if I lose everything? What, how are we going to overcome? These questions fill our hearts and mind and consume us. And when they do, before long, the depression starts to fill our hearts and minds. So what happens? We, get, we start to stay up late at night, can't turn our mind off, can't get good sleep, start to get poor sleep at night and wake up later and later, You become late at work. Your job performance starts to suffer because you don't have the energy to carry on. You start to become irritable, drowsy. You start to become fatigued and careless and start to make mistakes. And before you know it, you're having panic attacks and life has just overwhelmed you because your heart is filled with worry. 
Many have died because of anxiety. You know, if you did a little search and say, what are the symptoms of anxiety? Here's just a quick list. Numbness and tingling, dizziness, chest pains, headaches, heart tension, stomach upsets, pulsing in the ear, burning skin, fear of impending doom, nausea, on and on. That's just half the list. It consumes your body when you're filled with anxiety. These are real problems. In fact, real physiological problems. With these real physiological problems, people begin to think that they're helpless and there's nothing they could do. And what they fail to miss is this very principle right here. Their life, which is filled with anxiety, is a useless pursuit. Why? Because of the very question. You can't change anything. You can't change the details. You can't change the circumstances. The Lord in His marvelous, sovereign control directed and orchestrated each of the events, whether by your choice or not, put you there. And you're in a unique, custom-designed situation put there by God for one particular purpose. To show you His character, to reveal your character, to make you dependent upon Him, and to show His grace. We can't change anything by worry. We must see that God is a gracious supplier. And notice the third principle in verses 28 through 30. Remember the root, the root problem of anxiety is this, that anxiety is the fruit of unbelief. Anxiety is the fruit of unbelief. Look at 28 through 30. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe the lilies of the field. They did not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Now notice this phrase, you of little faith. Notice that is the, ultimately, that is the issue of worry. The issue at worry is we doubt God. We doubt that He's good. We doubt that He's gracious. We doubt that He cares. We doubt that He can supply in such a way that would benefit us. We doubt that God is a supplier. And yet, Jesus again points out the obvious. You look at the grass. Look at the grass. It grows. It, it's, and it's useless. It grows, it blossoms for a time, it produces its color, and then it dies, and then it's cut, thrown into a furnace, burned up again. Look at the lilies, look at the flowers. They didn't come out, they weren't clothed. They, God supplied for all of them. Remember, you know, traveling through California, it's quite nice to travel through and see some of the poppy fields, which are nice to see. Traveling most recently and, and seeing the wildflowers on the side of the roads. No one was out there uh, cultivating that, and yet God was causing all that to grow in a marvelous way. And you see the provisions there, and we recognize that God Himself is abundantly supplying in the marvelous creation around us. If you've just driven through the states or flown in the air and you looked out over the creation, you just see just a marvelous, unique, abundant design of God, and we see that is part of His handiwork. He abundantly supplies, and yet in the midst of our anxiety, we doubt. That's why the heart of it, He just says here, you of little faith. That's the root of all of this. We doubt God. We lack faith. Our anxiety causes us to to tremble and doubt uh, that God is going to supply what we need in the midst of our pressures. 
We need to be confident then. If we're going to overcome anxiety, we need to be confident in our God. I was reading an article from various secular institutions and groups trying to get their understanding of the source of anxiety and just summarizing one particular individual. He says, in describing anxiety, he says, because someone's imagining the future in an apprehensive manner and is concerned about the what's ahead, it's not this anxiety is not caused by biological, chemical, or genetic problems with the brain. In fact, anxiety results from a certain style of behavior. There was a psychologist saying this is what the cause of, of anxiety is. It's the struggle of certain style of behavior. What is the certain style of behavior? Well, Jesus tells us, you of little faith. That's the root of it. The psychologist actually in that particular article, you can... Maybe get my notes or go to our website at Saving Grace Bible Church and get the notes and you go to the psychologist and the psychologist says, we have no idea what caused this. Jesus knows. It's unbelief. Again, at the root of all of our problems in worry is unbelief. Doubting God's care. Doubting God's willingness to help. Doubting God's ability to help. Doubting God's wisdom to help. One of those areas of doubt is the cause of anxiety. Fourthly, then, we need to remember that we are called to be different than the world. We need to remember when we're facing anxiety, we are called to be different than the world. Verse 31 and 32, notice what Jesus says. Do not be worried then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. We need to be different. This is the fourth truth that we're to be reminded of when we're facing anxiety. Again, when all those fears are filling our heart and every temptation is to go in and to lick the wounds of our own spiritual depression and try to comfort our hearts, we need to remind ourselves in this moment we are being tested to be different than the world. Maybe, friends, I can just ask you this question. What if God puts you in a difficult situation that is outside of your control, just to show you and the people around you His work in you is different than what's happening in the world. What if that was the only reason? You say, well, that's a lot of suffering just for that reason. That may be for God to demonstrate His graciousness and His care and His concern that this is how a believer faces the uncertainty of every day. He believes in God because the Gentiles aren't doing this. The world isn't doing it. The average person in this world is consumed by all the pressures of this world. They're consumed about trying to find a bigger house or a more stable income. They're consumed about another car or consumed about another vacation or a better life in some way. The average person is trying to do something in this life to make life have meaning in the possessions of this world. And their, their life is becoming more and more empty. They're out of control, led by depression and anxiety. And in fact, in uh, depression and anxiety has become big business. The medical field has made quite a bit of money off of selling anxiety drugs. If you went to the website drugs.com and you looked up anxiety and depression, and certainly we have medical people in the field here who could give us even more insight, but it, I noticed that there are 71 different drugs for anxiety and depression. 
71 different formulas that somebody's come up with to deal with the anxiety problem that people are facing. The most popular, of course, is that of Prozac. Based on a 2013 article in the New York Times, this New York Times article said that there were 150 billion uh, people being treated, or $150 billion made in the treatment of, in, of Americans. And in fact, they had 11.5 million Americans were being treated for mood-related or depression-related illnesses. The Huffington Post had reported that depression is the leading cause of medical disability for people from the age of 14 to 44. Depressed people lose 5.6 hours of productive work every week when they are depressed. And 80% of depressed people are impaired in their daily functioning. In fact, in a 30-day period, depressed workers have 1.5 to 3.2 more short-term disability days. Basically, depression is costing the American workforce a lot of time. Because our hearts and minds are consumed just as Jesus indicates. The Gentiles are eagerly concerned about this, eagerly worried, burdened by this. $11.3 billion is the annual amount of money spent on antidepressant medications, said. It's just overwhelming, the statistics. And we see this because we're consumed. Like, I mean, the news feeds this. If you spend any amount of time watching the news, somebody's going to die. You know, we're going to lose a president here soon. Another nation's going to form a war. I mean, something's going to happen. The stock market's going to crash. On and on, doomsday is coming. It's just been coming for the last 25, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. Jesus says here, then puts it in our context. Verse 32, the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. And back to the root of all this, we need to be reminding ourselves when we're facing anxiety at all times, God is a gracious supplier. That is His character and His nature. The God, uh, we can't change anything by being consumed by this worry. We're not going to add or change any circumstance. That, that heart of this anxiety is I'm not believing something about God and God has called me to be different. By calling me to be his child, he's called me to be different from the world. And I know the Gentiles naturally run to being worried and consumed about this, so I need to be different. I don't blame the world for being consumed with that. Why? Because the world is in a place of hopelessness. They're in a place consumed by their own lusts and their own desires. They're consumed by the things of this world. And therefore, they have no hope outside of God. But we Christians are not like that. For we have a greater perspective. We've been called to God. Which leads us then to the fifth principle. That remember to set your focus on eternal life and let God supply your needs. Verse 33. But... Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now think about this. This this is when all the pressures are coming upon you, when the uncertainties are rising up in your heart and you're burdened by the pressures to come, Jesus says this is the road you walk. Matthew 6.33 Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and these things will be provided for you. This is the way of escape. 
This is the way we get delivered through all of the pressures and anxieties. We start setting our minds on heavenly things. And particularly, we start seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. This is the great cure for the anxiety problem. We put our priorities in order. We start investing ourselves in the heavenly pursuits. We start demonstrating in life and practice that our kingdom is not this world, but it is the kingdom to come. It is heaven. Think about this for a moment. Who is going to take a car with them to heaven? I had a, a family member who got who was buried. This is a I guess a great grandpa by extension. He was uh, buried with a Joe Montana football. Went to he was a, one of the early football players in the NFL when the NFL was just getting started, and he passed away. And when he passed away, it took a. 49er football, Simon Montana, put it in there with him. Guess what? It's still in his grave. It won't make it into eternal life. It is not going to pass over into glory with him. Even though he's not heading to that kind of glory, he's heading to a much warmer place. But nonetheless to say, the football's not going with him. We're not taking anything with us. But on the flip side, imagine this, that every time you invest in the Lord's kingdom that is added into eternal life, every time you are seeking His kingdom, His righteousness, those are the things that the Lord honors us with. And you think about the marvel of that, that for some reason, we're going to love God's people, we're going to care for the needs of, of the godly, may even care for the needs of the ungodly, we're just going to live for Christ and His glory, and God is going to honor us for that. Say, why? Lord, you gave me the abilities, the opportunity. I just served. I just did what you commanded me to do. And then you give me a reward for it. It's beyond my comprehension. That's the idea here. We're seeking His kingdom and His righteousness. We're desiring to obey His commands. We're seeking heavenly things, not consumed by earthly things. We are consumed with what is to come and not as what is here now. And in the midst of all of that, God is blessing us, enriching our life, and, and is even preparing for us an eternal weight of glory well beyond what we can ask or imagine. It puts everything in perspective. Most recently, I had a, a privileged opportunity to... Go see the fruits of a man's life. Um, guy had just passed away a few years ago, and walked around, and I saw, um, you know, the guy has been dead for four years, and I've w- went and saw his old housekeeper, went and saw his old business partners, I went and saw his old workers, I, I saw all of his handiwork, and every one of those people were encouraged because this guy ministered to their needs, and they ministered to me in the group I was with because this guy ministered to them. The point being is that his fruit, the fruit of his life was still turning out more fruit because of his character and life and his desire to meet the needs of others. And I think, you know, this is what it looks like to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. We desire to minister the truth to God's people or to whoever we come in contact with, and God blesses that. Maybe let's just put it in this context. It would be this way. If I had to choose a verse, it would be Colossians 3, 1 through 4. You remember that verse. It says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on these things, not the things on the earth, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with Him in glory. Colossians 3, 1-4. That is the Christian pursuit. Seeking heavenly things. 
Jesus said it a little earlier here in this context in Matthew six nineteen to 20. Notice, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Think about this, friends. Maybe when you're in the moment of anxiety, maybe when you're overwhelmed, you might lose everything here on earth. You might lose it all. But every investment in the Lord's work, none of it will be lost. You won't lose... Again, think about this. If God knows everything, cannot forget anything, and is going to reward us according to our deeds done, whether good or bad, we're going to be measured by them, then everything that we have done, which He completely remembers perfectly, and in fact has even recorded them in the books, will be honored by Him. So it's not a wasted moment to invest in His work in any way. So when Jesus says here, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, because I know at the moment when we are hungry, we haven't eaten for maybe a couple days, maybe we're taken through such a severe trial that we're not eating, and we're thinking to ourselves in the midst of the moment, well, seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness doesn't feed my belly at this moment. Be reminded, the temptation of the heart would be, well, then it's a wasted effort. And yet the reality is this, what lasts eternally is His kingdom and His righteousness. So that whatever is invested in His kingdom and His righteousness is not wasted. But if you got a burrito from somebody and you were happy with that burrito, that's wasted. It's here for a moment, and happy for a moment, and gone. But whatever treasures the Lord gives are eternal treasures, eternal rewards. This is exactly the lesson Jesus understood in Matthew, back to Matthew chapter 4 when he was taken into the wilderness and tempted by the devil and promised to be given the whole you know, kingdoms right now. And he said, you know, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need to put our minds in the right perspective that God's treasures and God's resources are the most important for us to pursue. Why? Because he's the supplier he is the rewarder. One more principle to add, and then we'll draw this all together. The last principle is to remember to live one day at a time. Remember to live one day, one moment at a time. Verse 34. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We don't need to take on tomorrow's worries or next week's or next year's. We only need to take care of today's worries, today's burdens, or even better yet, today's responsibilities. Take care of today's responsibilities. Put your energy into today's work and let tomorrow care for itself. This is God's battle plan, basically, to dealing with depression and anxiety. This is the, the battle plan that has no side effects except for spiritual growth. Actually, that's some pretty positive side effects if you want to put it that way. In fact, it was funny, if you listen to those commercials, the negative effect of most of the medications, I'd rather just have the illness itself, you know, than all the physical effects. But think about the effect of godliness. The effect of godliness is Christ-likeness, spiritual growth in life. And so here are then God's 
principles for dealing with anxiety. When you face it, you remind yourself first of the gracious, supplying nature of God. God cares. And if He cares for the insignificant birds and the other animals of this world, will He not care for the more important, the people that were so important that God sent His only beloved Son to redeem? Something about man, having been created in His image, that God uniquely loves, uniquely protects, uniquely cares for abundantly, and supplies for, that we should be remembering, well, if God does have a special value for us because of His love for us, then we should never doubt His gracious supply. The second lesson then, and we're facing anxiety, is remember, as much effort as I put into that, I can't change anything. I'm powerless to change the circumstances. I mean, one of the divine attributes I wish God gave me was sovereignty. I don't have that. I even don't have that in my home. I try to conform my kids. I can't do it. I don't have sovereignty. Sovereignty and omniscience are the two powers I would love to have, particularly omniscience. I don't have any of those things. And I remember and remind myself in the midst of the circumstances, I don't have the power to change this by fearing through it. Thirdly, at the root, when my heart is consumed with the fears and all that comes on, I remind myself that's unbelief. At the root, I'm not believing something about God. Maybe I believe God should treat me better. Maybe I believe that God can't supply. Maybe I believe that God won't supply. Maybe I'm fearful that He isn't going to care for me in those moments. I have to find the source of unbelief at that moment, and I need to go with war with that unbelief. I know it's there because anxiety is there. When that anxiety is gone, I know faith is operating. Fourthly, in the midst of that, so as I've unrooted my unbelief and I've called it out, as I've trusted in God and I've not wasted any time, I remember in this I have to be different, different than the world around me, so that I'm not consumed by their struggles. And then I direct my heart to heavenly things. Start setting my, my focus on the things to come, on principles that God has called me to. I fill my heart and mind with the Word of God, understanding His commands, seeking to obey His commands, desiring kingdom things, and living a kingdom life. And I just do it one day at a time. Just like when you went to class and you worked through your class schedule, you just took it one day at a time. That's the Christian life, one day at a time. And at the moment, it feels like it takes forever And then you look back and say, where did that time go? It's like raising kids. They were just born the other day, and now I'm sending them off to college. or They're getting married. How in the world did that happen? It's just one day at a time. We keep our focus before us. And I trust that if you put this plan together, following our Lord's commands here, you too will find your life filled with meaning and purpose. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this. Thank you for the unique comfort it gives us when we are overwhelmed by the pressures and difficulties of life, when we are consumed by all that we're facing. We pray that we will take our fears, our worries, our anxieties, the things that pressure us, and cast them before you. We know that you care for us. We know that you love us. We know that you are at work using these circumstances to shape us and to guide us. And so we pray that as a response to these things, that our heart would yield in faith to all that you have to teach us. We pray that we would not doubt you and doubt your character, but we'd be more dependent upon you. 
Then we pray also that in, as we navigate, that we would be those who walk in wisdom. Not fear, not uh, uncertainty, not carelessness, but we're taking your truth, having understood your principles, carefully applied them, and seeing then your glory richly on display. Strengthen us and surround us with a body of believers that would encourage our hearts in those difficult moments. Continue to unite our hearts together in love around your truth, for we're all sinners who have struggled in various ways. We've all come to the same fountain of grace in Christ and found freedom from that sin that so easily entangled us. And so we pray that we would encourage one another to persevere in the pursuit of godliness and that we would all enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. So thank you for comforting our hearts from your word this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.